it's time to sit down and relax for the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A with your host, Doug. Hey there, Doug here. Happy Monday. I know most of us are social distancing, which is good. So make sure if you're told to, stay home, wash your hands, and if you're an essential employee that's out there, you know, people in the medical field, grocery stores, trucking, all of you, thank you so much. So this week's Monday episode, which is usually a bonus, this is more than a bonus because it's another person who was in Airplane 2. It's actor Ricky Powell. Uh, so Ricky, he had a small part in it, but he was part of a great running joke. Um, it's the part with the donkey and the, and the woman that says, I think we're not going to make it. And I've never been with a man before. So he was the first guy that was sitting next to her. The great running joke in Airplane 2. We recorded that review today. It's stellar. It's going to be great. So make sure you check that out on Thursday. But yeah, Ricky talked about how early on he wanted to be an actor because his friend was an actor. And then he went on to be on Bewitched, which he had a huge crush on Elizabeth Montgomery. Who doesn't? So and then... Ricky then went on to become the first Lego My Ego kid. So when him and his mom went to audition reading the script, they're like, what's an Ego? So you'll hear about that and then his acting. And then afterwards, he was done acting and he started working on the other side of the camera. So this is Ricky Powell. Hey, Ricky. Hi, Doug. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks awesome. for having me. Yeah, well, uh, this is a lot of fun. So uh, so this is about telling people's story, and obviously we talk about movie sequels, but it's still learning about each actor that I've talked to or people that are behind, behind the scenes, whether it be writer, director, puppeteer, special effects. You know, everybody has a story. So where does your story begin? Where would you grow up? Oh, gosh. Well, I grew up in what was affectionately known as the slums of Beverly Hills. Uh, there you go. So, which basically means like, uh, you know, for, for anyone in the immediate area, like Wilshire and La Cienega, like just on the outskirts, um, but on the inside. And, and I wanted to be an actor from the age of, from the time I could talk really two or three years old, I pointed to the TV and I said, I want to be in there, (laughs) meaning I want to be an actor. Right. And then um, when I was about seven years old in the first grade, I became best friends with a, a kid who was on a TV show at the time, uh, Marco Page, and he was on the show Julia. And so we became best friends, and his dad helped me get an agent. I started going out on things, and the very first thing I did was an episode of Bewitched, um, which was my favorite show in the world, you know, and had such a crush on Elizabeth Montgomery. And, oh, yeah. and from there... Right. I know. Even as a seven year old, you know, and um, from there, I, I did another episode of that. But I, I did many other TV shows and commercials. Um, first Ego Waffle commercial. So I was the first kid to get to say Lego my Ego. That no way. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. And that's on YouTube. If you type in Lego my Ego in YouTube, uh, I'm wearing a red shirt and um Gordon Jump, who was on WKRP and, and went on to be a big character actor, he played my dad in that commercial. So how how did that work? Like the commercial work, was that like at the time where, I'm sure Ego is obviously a big thing, but that was like their big hit commercial because obviously people still know it. Too. it. It was truly the very first Ego Waffle commercial. And in fact, the product 
when I went on the interview with my mom, the product hadn't even come out yet. Oh, no uh, way. We, we looked, yeah, we looked at the copy and it said, Lego my ego. And we looked at each other and said, what? Well, what's an ego? Like, we hadn't even heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knew, right? Yeah, right. So over the years, you did a lot of commercials. Uh, where, where were other, some other companies that you did commercials for? Yeah, I did a handful of McDonald's commercials for their French fry campaign. I did Trident gum and Mattel toy and Aurora toy, um, super stick glue, which for paper mate, which unfortunately isn't even on the market anymore. A couple of those types of things. Spoon candy, it was called, which was like a pudding. That's also no longer on the market. Um, oh, I did the really the very, very first thing I did, I think even before the Bewitched episode, was a commercial for Security Pacific Bank, which was here on the West Coast. And uh, it was right when Master Charge came out. So not even, this was well before, years before MasterCard. No, it was wow. called Master Charge, where, where you could uh, charge more than you had in your account. That was the very beginning of credit. <laughs> so... Uh, that was really fun. I, I walked in with a kid who was playing my younger brother and we walked up to the, to the bank teller and I said, I want to buy the bank. And he said, Oh, well now you can <laughs> with master charge. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. <laughs> so over the years you're on like my three sons mod squad. Was there a particular show that you were on besides Bewitched? Cause you love that growing up and Elizabeth Montgomery. Was right. there any show that you, now looking back, you know, 40 years later, you're like, wow, man, I got to be on that. Um, yeah, actually, uh, I would say there was an episode of Night Gallery uh, that I did. And, and Night Gallery was, of course, Rod Serling's show after the Twilight Zone. And the particular episode that I was in, I got to co-star with Edward G. Robinson, who was, of course, a huge star, you know, and really a legend in Hollywood. And I got to play his grandson in that episode. And uh, and then two other actors that were in the episode were Tony Roberts and Yafit Koto. And it was very cool doing that. It was shot. At, we shot it at Universal in the dead of summer. We shot it, at, I think, in August in summer. It was like 90 degrees and it took place in New York. And so it was you know, supposed to be snowing and I was all dressed up in an overcoat and, and all of this sort of thing. And it, it was, it was a lot of fun, a lot of hard work, but a lot of fun to do. And uh, that that's one of my favorite things to look back on. Yeah. I bet that was a lot of fun. And then obviously, so you're in airplane too. I know you had like yes. a small part in that. So now right. how, take me back to that. Like when you're auditioning for a role like that, how, how does that, how does that process work? Well, it was, it was really such a great story. The way it happened was, uh, it was, it was really toward the end of my career. And, and I, I was, wor I was used to working so much as a younger kid. And then as I got older and hit my teens, it started slowing down. And it was, this was right. The, the, the last couple of things I did, I had one line, well, that airplane too. And then also I was in Tom Cruise's second movie called losing it. Um, in the first couple of scenes of that. But for this, I got a call from my agent and said, Howard Koch, again, huge producer, oh, yeah. Howard Koch wants, wants to see you uh, at Paramount for, for this role in Airplane 2. And of course, my eyes lit up and, and I went down for the, inter for the audition. And 
met Howard, you know, Howard Sr. for the first time. Nicest man. So nice. And we just talked for, for several minutes. And um, he said, yeah. I, I mean, there wasn't even a script. There was one line, you know. Yeah. And he said, yeah, I think, I think you'll do great. I want you to meet the writer-director, which uh, was Ken Finkelman. And, and he came in and I met him. And he said, yeah, absolutely. We hit it off. And then I think that was a Thursday or a Friday. And then Monday morning, I showed up and, and Howard Koch was sitting in his director's chair and said, welcome to your Paramount Pictures debut. And I said, thank you so much. And he said, you know how you got the part? And I said, no, I'd, I'd love to know. How did I get the part? He was thumbing through the Academy Players directory, which at the time was a, you know, a book that was like 10 inches thick. And he just happened to be thumbing through it and saw my picture, and and that was it. He just he saw my picture and called me in. Wow, what are the chances? I know, I know. And and so what happened was they had already finished shooting the movie, and then what they wanted to do was they wanted to go back and shoot ancillary jokes to add to it. And so my part in it uh, was what was sort of a running gag that they did through that one segment and and I was the first the first uh one to appear in in that you know sequence of a, a few different shots yeah um so and and if it, and and essentially if you remember so I was sitting next to the blonde girl I had glasses on I'm wearing a blue blaze navy blue blazer I'm looking through a magazine and reading and and it's at the part in the movie where it's it's getting the spaceship is getting smashed with asteroids, and so she looks at me and says, "You know, pardon me, I don't mean to be forward, but I don't think we're going to make it through this." And I've never really been with a man before. And you know, I look back and and I said, "I understand." And I turned off, reached up and turned off the light, and the whole screen went black. <laughs> <laughs> so going into that movie, I'm sure you're a fan of the first one. Oh, yes. I was a big fan of the first one. And now looking back, how would you say the second one? Like, how, like what's your take on the second movie? Well, I did, you know, I, um, it, it's interesting. I mean, I didn't, I, I really, I, I thought the first one really um, was kind of a little bit of a different caliber. Although it's, it's very interesting looking back on both all these years later, even the second one, the sequel did kind of take on a whole life of its own. And, and so many people really did end up seeing that as well and remembered so many of the sequences, uh, my, my own included. So it's been great. I mean, it's really been fun to, to kind of be a part of it. So you said losing it was your last acting role. Yeah, and, and honestly, I can't. I, I think losing it did come before Airplane Two. I'm pretty sure. So, uh, Airplane Two might have been the last one. Okay. It was kind of neck and neck. Yeah, and yeah, losing it. So that was interesting. Yeah, no, I was gonna say because it looks like you're. I don't know if you're getting if you're auditioning yet or getting back into acting, but your headshots look pretty new. Oh, thanks, thanks. Well, I did. I took some. I took some new headshots. Maybe I don't know. Maybe a. a a year to two years ago. Um, and I'd, I'd love to get back into it. I really would. I mean, acting was my, was my number one passion and love for so many years. And it's just something that, that I think I was born with. I don't know. I was just, I, I just, um, 
I love it all. I really do. I love performing. I love being in, uh, on camera or in front of an audience, uh, which I got to do later on in life as well. Um, I got behind the camera, spent five years on the Golden Girls in post-production, and then 25 years at NBC. No way. And then left them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I put every show on the air on NBC, every comedy, drama, and reality show. Uh, so that was really fun as well. And then while I was there, I helped them charter a Toastmasters club and became the club president and started doing public speaking inside and then outside of NBC. And, and so I've been do, doing corporate training and public speaking and all of that. I wrote a book on happiness and uh, I just I love I love serving people. I love helping people. And when I am acting, I, I feel like I'm doing that in a way as well. Yeah, I'm happy you were able to continue your passion because a lot of times when I talk to people, uh, it's mm-hmm. either people that just don't care about updating stuff on the IMDb or so that's interesting because I didn't know that about you. So that's really cool that you were able to, especially when you told me how much you love what, you know, what you're doing and you know, that ended in 83, mm-hmm. but you're able to still, you know, be behind the camera for the golden girls and then work for NBC. So what'd you do in mm-hmm. that capacity to get the shows on the air? What was your role? So essentially every comedy, drama, reality show, both daytime shows, the Saturday morning shows for, for all of those years uh, delivered directly to me. Uh, and I, I put all the timings in for where, the, for where every commercial break went. Oh, no and way. then I did all, yeah, and then I did all the branding with the rating icons and the peacocks and the lower thirds that told you what you're watching, what's coming next. So I really was the liaison between all of the outside producers and all of the internal teams. So the program executives and network operations and broadcast standards and on-air promo and uh, making sure that every everyone was on the same page and, and every single show aired flawlessly. So... That's it, awesome. it was, uh, it was great. Yeah, it was great. I had a lot of fun. Are you still doing anything in that capacity? Uh, not in that capacity. Not, not right now. Uh, I began doing corporate training also. So I, I would deliver presentations, uh, for corporations and their employees on stress management and avoiding burnout and mindfulness and, uh, mental health awareness and conflict resolution. So many different topics. And I really enjoy that too. Yeah, that's important nowadays, especially the way people are getting burnout in jobs. I know me personally, where I work. So uh, no, that's good. That's good that you're, uh, that you're doing that because there's definitely a need for it. So since you're such a big fan of like, since, since such a young age that you loved TV and you love movies, what, what do you mm-hmm. think? about like the idea of like a sequel? What do you think the challenges are when uh, somebody's going to take on a role like, or take on like putting together a movie like Airplane 2 or just really any movie that the sequel comes a few years after? Well, I think the biggest challenge is, of course, living up to the original. And, yeah. and I think one, one built-in challenge that you have is as soon as you talk about doing a sequel, people immediately have expectations. And I, I think with so much of life, as soon as you go into something with expectations, many times you can get let, you can be let down because it just doesn't live up or, or whatever the case may be. <clears throat> and of course, with certain sequels, you know, The Godfather is probably the best example where, where The Godfather 1 and 2 both won Best Picture. I think that's a great example of how a sequel can live up, yeah. you know, to the original. 
Um, and, um, you know, and I'm sure there have been others, you know, throughout the years as well, but that's always a challenge just living up to those expectations and, and just, you know, making sure the quality is as good and, um, the, the, the writing and the directing and the cast, every element, uh, really should be as good as the original to, to get it, to really hit it out of the park. Yeah. And go in a different direction. So I interviewed, uh, William Sadler. He was in a bunch of movies, but we talked about, cause he was in Bill and Ted's bogus journey. He played death, but he was in Die Hard. He was in Die Hard too. He was the main villain in that movie. So we talked mm-hmm. about that. And he said, like when he was on set for the first time, like, Throughout the time, every time he was shooting a scene, he was just like, I need to make sure this is better than the first one. Even though he loved the first one, how great it was, but he felt like an obligation. Mm-hmm. Because if a movie, the first one does well, obviously if the second one does well, there's going to be a third one. So he took it upon mm-hmm. himself to put all this pressure. But you see some movies, there's so many sequels out there, you're like, it might have, like we talked about the movie Son of the Mask, and it really has nothing to do with the original Mask with Jim Carrey they just basically put a movie together and tried to tie it together just to get people, I don't know, to get the movie made maybe, but uh, no, there's definitely different types of sequels. That makes a lot of sense. What you said, do you have any favorite sequels that you've seen over the years? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, I'm trying to think. Um, hmm. I mean, uh, trying to remember back to the future too. Um, oh, that's a good one. And yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I remember, I think they shot two and three at the same time. Um, and let's see what else. Um, hmm. No, nothing, nothing at top of mind. You know, I, I, when I was a kid growing up, I, I saw every movie. I, I just, I love movies so much and I still do. But as we get older, time tends to be more and more precious. And, and so it's tougher and tougher to get out there to see everything now, you know, I know you have to pick and choose. Um, I have a daughter who's eight months old. So uh, I pick and choose like mm. when she's sleeping, that's when I can watch like these movies that we discuss. And uh, right. No, you're right. But when you're growing up, that's why I started this. And my, my buddy who reached out to you because, and when I was growing up for some reason, I had so many movie sequels that my dad as a garbage man got from work that people like threw out. And I just thought they were so fascinating, like the mindset behind them, because obviously you have to either take it in different directions or you can just do the same exact thing. So that's why I like chatting with people that were in them to see like what the experiences were. And uh, it's really cool that you had such a passion for acting at such a young age. It ended and you were able to continue it just on the other side of the camera. Thank you. Thanks so much, Doug. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I, I just feel like I have led such a blessed life. Not not to say, believe me, you know, plenty of adversity. Obviously, that that's something that we all go through. And um, but that's, I think, just one one of the fascinations of life. You know, just the roller coaster and the journey that every one of us is on. Um, but I just feel so lucky because I did. I, I got to live my passion from the, the, from such an early age and, and just even like my first nine years, believe it or not at NBC were so challenging because of this particular individual that I was working with. But I think one thing leads to another. I think everything happens for a reason. And that drove me into the subject of happiness. And I became passionate about that. And again, wrote the book and started speaking on it. And that never would have happened. I think had I not 
been so challenged th- those first nine years there. But I, you know, they ended up getting rid of him after those first nine years. I went on on another seventeen years, and um, and then I just Dennis Prager, who's one of my favorites and and one of my mentors, and he wrote a book called Happiness Is a Serious Problem. And I always remember, he said, it's really good to love as many things and people in life as possible. And I highly subscribe to that theory. And so even just in the past few years, I've gotten really passionate about um, being vegan. I've been v- vegan for over two years now and um, love animal. Yeah, thank you. And, and love animal rights and all that. And and I feel physically, I feel better today than I ever have in my entire life, including my teens and 20s. Um, and it's just so I'm not, now that's another passion of mine. And I, I want to start encompassing that into my public speaking as well. Well, that's amazing. So, he, so this is great. Thanks so much for taking the time. It was great talking to you, Ricky. Same here, Doug. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I, I'd love to stay in touch. Yeah, definitely, man. Have a great night. Wasn't Ricky great? Super inspirational. I'll make sure that I put the link to his book you want to check it out into the episode notes and his imdb so you can check out other stuff he was in okay so don't forget this thursday airplane to the sequel if you're home you have time it's free on amazon prime so check it out don't forget to review rate share our podcast follow us on all social media at sequels only and our website sequelsonly.com. don't forget to wash your hands stay home social distant good night